What's good, fam? This is E Boogie, artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Ball Might Lie. Howdy, how y'all? Welcome to another episode of Ball Might Lie, where the ball might lie. But we won't. I'm Asui, and joining me today are AC. What's up, what's up, guys? My Knicks are looking good until this terrible loss to the Lakers the other night, but we ain't going to talk about that. <laughs> Eric. What's goody, my friends? And a guy whom we've tried to smuggle over the border many times from Canada, Anushan. Yo, what's good, everybody? What's happening? How you guys doing? Everyone doing well? Doing blessed, doing great. So I wanted to talk to you guys today about Adam Silver because as you may have recently heard, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, got a contract extension through 2030. So I thought now is the perfect time to have a discussion about his legacy, the good, the bad, the Sixers, all of it. We'll cover it all. So, you know, AC, what do you think about it? Like, how do you feel Adam Silver has been as the commissioner well i think if we talk about adam silver we have to start with david stern because david stern by many different measures you could say is possibly the greatest commissioner of all time right he took a league that was on tape delay and made it a worldwide phenomenon and introduced all kinds of different things that we almost take for granted now as part of the nba but towards the end of his reign he had become a bit stagnant there were things the league was facing that he was not willing to take action on and certain ideas were being proposed by the media, by various executives that could improve the NBA and he was not willing to change that. So when I think of Adam Silver and sort of the positives that he he brought to the table, I would say his willingness to try things, whether they'd work or not, is the first thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, no, I'm in total agreement, AC. I think that there's a lot of things that Adam has done that has been like really good for the league in total. And I'm sure we'll talk about everything that we've seen, whether it be things he's introduced, rule changes, you know, to make the game a bit more watchable for viewers. So yeah, let's just get into that like right away. So I think like one of the first things, and I think you and Eric can definitely speak a lot about this, would be flattening of the, the lottery odds. What are your guys' thoughts about that? Yeah, so I think the NBA had a really serious tanking problem. And to some degree, the problem still exists. It hasn't completely gone away. But there was a perverse incentive for teams to lose because, you know, in football, yes, the worst team gets the number one pick. But the difference between the first pick and the 32nd pick isn't nearly as big as the difference between even the first pick and the fifth pick in basketball because, If you get one franchise player, it totally changes everything about your entire franchise going forward. What Adam Silver did was he flattened the odds. I mean, it's not just him, but it's him and the NBA in general, but I'm going to give him credit for these various things that were under his reign so that now if you have the worst record, you don't really have any better odds than if you had the third worst record. And of course, in general, it helps have a slightly worse record. And maybe I would say they should go even further with this. But it's a step in the right direction, and I do think it has led to a reduction in tanking. And with the same goal of, of making teams continue to compete, he also brought in the play-in tournament, which 
I think has really changed the game. And I, I know, Eric, you've had sort of the privilege, I guess, of rooting for a team actively with LeBron's team the last couple of years when they were in the playing tournament. So what do you think about the playing tournament in general? Well, first off, I want to commend them for flattening the odds of, of the bad teams in the lottery because as a person who truthfully am against all draft lotteries, I think this is a move in the right direction. And it, as much as possible, doesn't incentivize just being abjectly bad, like the Cavs of the 80s, where it's just like, okay, fuck being good. I'm tanking. You know I'm tanking. In general, we don't see teams quite do that. But, I mean, of course it still exists. But the playing tournament, yeah, it's, it's great, honestly. It's brought more eyes to the league. I thought it was a bad idea initially in AC. <laughs> and I would have these debates, and AC was firmly on the side of it. And ultimately, I, I think it's actually good, probably because LeBron has benefited from it. But, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, you mentioned the play-in tournament. And if we have a situation where Patrick Beverly thinks that he's won an NBA championship running up on the the stands and doing all this crazy <laughs> shit in a play-in game, you know it's hype. I mean, obviously, Patrick Beverly is an exaggeration in and of himself, but it has that kind of feeling to it, you know? Like, being able to be a team that had no prior, no, no chance of making the playoffs, and you have a really good fan base behind you wanting that taste of playoff basketball and now you've beaten two teams who in theory should have been better than you and now you get a chance to to compete in the playoffs eric i see you're roaring to say something what do you got for us i just was gonna say even though i do think the playing tournament is good i did miss or i do miss rather how teams within the last couple of weeks of the season when they knew they couldn't get an eight seed like you could just see the depression on their faces i miss that (laughs) I really miss seeing guys. <laughs> this guy is like, sick. Having, having, <laughs> having to like wallow in their failure and and know that their impending impending season doom is on the horizon. Oh my god! For those of you who are are new to Eric, the podcaster, he's basically a Disney villain <laughs> who generally enjoys suffering of your poor human beings out there. So, listen. I think the play-in tournament's awesome. I mean, let's not forget that we've had teams make deep playoff runs out of the play-in tournament, right? We've had great series that came as a result of these borderline teams. I mean, the Lakers benefited from it. The Heat benefited from it, where you have a, a major injury during the year, and so you lose more games than you probably are, like, actually, like, to represent how good you are. So... Then if you have like a late season push, if you're in form, like the play-in tournament, I would argue is like a great warm-up to get into that mindset, but, you know, not have to expend the energy of potentially seven games. Like, I think it's great. And it brings a hype, especially with Eric's dream scenario where the teams are depressed. Now we have something, instead of going downward, it's going more upward in, in terms of momentum leading into the postseason. And as we've seen the past couple of years, the postseason has been amazing. No, I swear, I think you hit the nail on the head, honestly. Uh, the idea that a team loses its playoff chances just because a key member of the team happens to get injured in a, a critical time frame for them to make that push. And then you'll have a situation where, you know, maybe they're not fully healthy, but come they, their team manages to sneak into that 
that play in and they get into the playoffs, oh, now their key piece is back and willing to ready and able to play. It makes for good basketball. It makes for, you know, scenarios where a team that suffers from these injuries doesn't get as, as penalized. I think that's a very important point that you made. Counterpoint, guys. Doesn't it also even make the regular season a little bit less important in a weird way? Because now I don't even need to be in the top eight. I can be number 10 even and make it. And to be clear, I am a proponent of it. But I think you've seen some teams recently, and I, I think the Lakers can be put in this mix, have a very cavalier attitude towards the regular season in general because they're like, well, if we get in the playing tournament, we can win a couple of games and then we can take anyone on. Listen, I totally agree with that initial point, but my counter to that is, hey, look, now you're getting into a situation where, let's say you're the 10th seed, you need to win two games in a row and it's do or die. You need to show up on this day and play your best basketball. And if you're not equipped to do that, then get the hell out of here. You have a chance to be in with. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Anu. And I think even to add to that, it, it's also created a real race to get the number six seed. Because it used to be, that if you were sort of a number seven or eight seed and you were guaranteed one of those spots, that's you know something that you would live with, right? But now the chance of being eliminated from the playing tournament is high enough that there's a push to the six seed. And similarly, because you only need to win once if you're the seven or eight seed, there's a push to get one of those seeds over the nine or ten. So you're right. Like it's not just about making the ten. There's also some seeding implications within that. Yeah, and this is just my last point going over everything, but listen. At the end of the day, these guys are in the best professional basketball league in the world. They're all here to compete. They're not here to to fuck around, really. Well, for the most part. So you'll have these guys who really want to ball and, you know, have contention and build upon their legacies. So this is the best way for them to do it, especially when they weren't given a favorable hand in the the beginning, mid, or end of the season, really. Another innovation that I've loved about what Adam Silver has done or in his tenure and pushed is the in-season tournament. Now... You're going to have the LeBron haters try to diminish this, especially given that LeBron ultimately won this, or the Lakers. But I think that's a bold move. If you go to a bar or something, or at like you go to Applebee's, right, and you see on the on, on the screen these courts that look crazy, and some people aren't huge fans of some of the designs they chose. I thought if it pops, you can see it from across the room. You can see it from across the restaurant. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, what is this? You know, you have celebrities coming. I mean, you always have celebrities at ball games, but like, you know, it's a big deal. They're they're really making a push with this. And I admire the boldness of Adam Silver to say, hey, listen, we understand that the regular season is getting less and less popular. Like, this is something to inject some life into it. And even if it's not perfect right now, it shows a willingness to iterate and Maybe there is over time, like this is something we can look back to and say, well, yeah, this team has this many in-season tournament things. Yes, it's not a championship, but it does mean something. It means a level of excellence during the regular season. It means that you cared about competing in a single loss elimination game tournament. And it's fun. I don't watch March Madness, but shit, I watched the the in-season tournament. I thought it was great. You give stakes to professional athletes. And in this case, they incentivize them with money, which $500,000 might not sound like a lot for some of these guys making hundreds of millions of dollars, but not every NBA player has that kind of money. For some guys, this is a significant portion of their salary. For everyone, it's $500,000, right? I mean, anyone could use a little bit more money. And then you throw in the fact that 
there's a chance to win something. And I think even with all that, there was a risk of the players not taking it seriously. But I thought one of the most brilliant things that Silver and the NBA did here was they made the games here count toward the playoff race. So it's, yes, it doesn't guarantee you anything, but it helps you in the overall race to win the title. And I think going forward, and they've mentioned this, they might change this up and they might change the incentive structure to be even more rewarding. Maybe a draft pick, maybe some kind of a buy, something else along those lines. But you look at the Lakers, right, this season. If you take those seven wins in the in-season tournament out of their season, they would be well below 500 right now. So the fact that they at least got something out of it for the overall race is nice. AC, my favorite part by far about this in-season tournament this year is it created the spark of this rivalry slash hatred between the Bucks and the Pacers, and that's just good for basketball, right? Basketball, one of the coolest things, like, yeah, I, I mean, let's think about football, right? Like, yeah, I don't like the Bears. It's baked into being a fan of a given team, right? In basketball, it's series that drive these things, right? Like the Celtics and the Sixers, right? The Heat, the Celtics, the Bucks in some weird triangle right and this kind of sparked another such thing because you know the the bucks and the pacers are going to be fighting each other for years because of how young Halliburton is and you know Giannis isn't too much older like that's that's an amazing win for basketball that that was a huge development that came out of it these guys hate each other it's awesome I mean it was funny seeing Giannis and the bucks lose their shit (laughs) over the (laughs) antics of Tyrese Halliburton good stuff like legit good stuff (laughs) Just to piggyback a little bit off of what you guys are are saying, I I do think that the in-season tournament definitely needs a little work, but that's to be expected. It's only the first year. There's a lot that they can do to adjust and and figure things out. I will say that the flashy courts are definitely a bit too much for my eyes, but there is this idea of a little bit of a special atmosphere that comes with with the games, and I think that that's a really good idea. It's just going to have to take some work to keep building upon it. One last point about the in-season tournament. I know we discussed this earlier, but the idea that maybe it doesn't mean all that much right now, that's because it's new. In 20 years, when we're comparing the legacies of Wembenyama and whatever next up-and-coming young great there is, they're going to talk about this as one other thing when you're comparing players against each other. How many in-season tournaments do they win? Right, and That might not seem like that today, but... With this thing going forward, becoming more normalized, being something that players see around the league, it's worth winning. You get a banner up, even if it's not the same banner. It's going to carry a degree of weight that'll lend credibility to this tournament going forward. So I think this is incredible foresight by Adam Silver. And by the way, there's a real monetary incentive for the NBA in the year right before a TV deal is about to be negotiated. They have this nice package they can just sell to Amazon or to Apple or to whoever. There's great ratings for it. And at least the hardcore NBA fans will definitely jump on this. And I think the thing that will make it stick, and to your point, AC, about this impacting legacy, the playoff structure is seven games. And I'm not disputing, I think seven games is obviously the, the way to go. But it is cool to see how players have almost like their childhood like competitiveness come back in a single game. But in terms of other innovations, Adam Silver, hats off. I mean, the All-Star game, I like all the different changes. You know, first it was the Elam ending. Then it was having team captains in a draft and televising the draft and just bringing more 
hype around the game. I think these are bold changes. What do you guys think about how the All-Star game is? Well, to be very clear, I don't actually think any of the changes are actually all that great. Like, I like a normal traditional basketball game. I like East versus West. I'm old school. That means something to me. But I like the fact that Adam Silver saw that the All-Star game had lost some of its luster and was willing to try things, right? And I got some real entertainment out of some of these drafts. Like, I remember the year where Kevin Durant didn't draft James Harden, and this is a hilarious moment, right? And it's led to some fun things. But I'm really excited that this year they're going back to a traditional All-Star game, which also shows that Silver doesn't just propose an idea and then stick with it if the evidence shows that it's not working the way that he wanted it to. Ah, this is where I get to be the eternal pessimist. These All-Star games don't mean anything. They didn't mean anything before. They don't mean anything now. When he makes the changes, the changes doesn't mean anything. And he's changed a couple of times. He's gone back to the normal format. It doesn't mean anything. No one cares about a glorified pickup game where no one plays defense. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to push back a little bit on both you, Eric, and also AC before him. Okay. This is not the Pro Bowl, okay? Show some respect to the NBA All-Star game, all right? That nobody actually gives a shit about, all right? The All-Star game is important, right? Do you think more people watch the Pro Bowl or the NBA All-Star game? Listen, listen, listen. This is a basketball podcast. We'll believe what we want to believe here, okay? The thing is this, okay? The NBA All-Star game is, the in some ways, it's like the Super Bowl weekend of the NBA, right? It's when... You have pop culture, you have NBA legends, you have everything kind of combining. The who's who of the sport is all there. And the game gives you an opportunity to do that. Now, I disagree with AC about not liking the changes. I mean, listen, he is, AC is an old man. So I understand he is a little, he is a little dated in his approach to things. I think that what I like is I like the boldness of it. And I agree. I like the boldness to change back from it. It shows that he's trying to innovate, right? But I thought that the draft was great television. It's another great way to draw people in just to be, you know, if you're flipping through the channels, you're like NBA draft in the middle of the season. What the hell is this, right? I thought that was interesting. I thought the the interactions between the captains was interesting and Ernie and, and the boys. That was good. And even like the first year when it was what you had to score 24 to 24 points to end it, I thought players did play kind of hard for that. You can't expect them to play hard for three quarters before that because it is an exhibition game at the end of the day. They're not trying to get injured. But I thought given how the ending of All-Star games have been in the past, yeah, I'll take a quick let's go to 24 just like when you're on the courts at home. Yeah, and I tend to agree with Oswee here. I think that, one, again, the televised draft was a great idea. It really made a lot of people want to tune in and look at, like, what kind of goes on within the players' minds, right? Like, I mean, for starters, we know that Giannis is probably the worst GM ever imaginable with how many ridiculous picks he's ever had in these All-Star games. 
this guy is incredible. I still remember there was one year where I don't remember. I think it was off the bench. And the first pick that he had was Chris Middleton amongst all the other talent. I know it's a teammate, well, but even still. Yeah, but there's the, there's the politics of that, right? Like, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. So, some people will like use their second pick on their teammate. But, you know, Giannis is, you know, the family guy, right? Like that's yeah, the, yeah. the persona of him. So, of course, he's going to pick Middleton. I was just going to say, you didn't see the GM pick AD first. <laughs> but see like that's the thing that's that's the drama that i like like yeah sure from a pure x and o's yeah this is this is not for you this is just a celebration of basketball like come on man did, did you get coal every year in your stockings uh, eric like damn dude why you gotta kill the fun it was so bad i didn't even get coal <laughs> <laughs> one thing that silver did really well outside of the all-star game changes and the things we've talked about so far was he was presiding over the NBA when there was a global health crisis and COVID shot down the NBA. You know, for me, the COVID pandemic became real when I saw that the NBA game was canceled. When Adam Silver proposed the idea of this bubble, there was a real fear of even getting COVID. So to create this bubble in Disney where people would somehow or the other stay safe and commit to being there for multiple months, all for the chance to have a champion crown that year. I have nothing but respect for the organizational ability to just get people behind his idea. A-plus for him on that. Shout out to Pepe Le Pew, a.k.a. Felipe Patain, Rudy oh. Gobert. <laughs> patient <for> Zero. <laughs> patient Zero for actually starting the COVID lockdown in the NBA. AC has a very good point about the ingenuity of introducing the bubble. I, I thought that it really made for the most purest forms of basketball that we'll see for years to come with no fans even remotely around. So it's just guys balling out with no distractions. Of course, it did really take a little bit away from the home and away dynamics. But hey, we got to see really good basketball in a year where we thought we weren't going to get basketball. So as fans, there's nothing else we could really ask for. Yeah, I, I thought it was just handled perfectly. I mean, players were safe. All the staff was safe. Their families, when they came, was safe. For anyone who says, oh, this is the Mickey ring or, or whatever, uh, all this stupid crap about that. Listen, try being quarantined during COVID and quarantine. Everyone was miserable. Imagine on top of that, having the stress of your job and, and your legacy on the line. I think it's hilarious when people want to dismiss that ring. The team that ends up winning that championship had the best record going into the bubble. The Lakers were the number one seed. They didn't have home court at all. So if anything, they were disadvantaged. And by the way, the next year, all those teams that went far got injured. But if you look at just this last season, the final four teams that were there standing in the end were the same final four teams that were there in the bubble. The other thing I, I really have been impressed with by Adam Silver, and, and maybe it's because he, he gets the benefit of this because of how basketball in the world has projected, right? There's been a lot of really good global initiatives by the NBA under Adam Silver. Now, some of these could have been in place before. You have the Basketball Africa League, where the league and President Obama, or rather former President Obama and, and others, really had an investment. I think even J. Cole played in the league. But it's great, like finding new talent in the basketball world, giving opportunity to guys who otherwise wouldn't have it, training, good salaries, all of that stuff. They have a lot of basketball camps and things in China and India. I think Kevin Durant was like the host of the largest basketball camp in history. It was in India like a couple of years ago. Like 
I think those are things that's good for the game. My guess is that ultimately basketball will be, if it's not already, the number two most played sport in the world. I think cricket might have it, but that doesn't really count in my opinion. I think basketball is projecting that way, and I, I think the NBA has done a lot of good in that direction for sure. <laughs> I love how Osby says that cricket doesn't count when his email address literally has the word cricket yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, listen, listen. I'm all about cricket. Hardcore cricket fan. Yeah, it's a gentleman's game. I love cricket. Literally before this pod, I was trying to get tickets for the World Cup this year. Yeah, like I love cricket, but you know, basketball is my favorite sport. I love the way they dribble up and down the court. <laughs> that was about to say that if you didn't say it. Silver's <laughs> <laughs> so no, also had some really good rule changes too. There's a lot of rule changes I don't agree with under Silver, but one that yes. was just extremely needed was the transition take foul being eliminated. So those who might not know what that is, that's where if the other team's on a fast break, you just foul them and then they have to inbound the ball. And as a result, you just start a huge reduction in the most exciting play in basketball, the fast break, right? Less chase down blocks, less dunks, less alley-oops. And under Silver, that was eliminated officially. I believe last season was the first season that the rule was implemented that created additional penalty for that. Yeah, and I mean, I've definitely had this conversation with AC and probably with Eric and Uswe too. And it's something that I even said prior to the rule even being implemented, they needed to have some sort of solution. And my solution was probably the exact same as what uh, Silver proposed. It's to give that one free throw and then possession of the ball afterwards. And it's the same thing that we've now seen with the clear path foul also, right? Like that's a little bit earlier, but that's another really good way to prevent you know, teams just not having to play any sort of defense. It's exciting to see the dunk for sure. But the other thing we barely got to see was the chase down block. Teams would just opt to foul immediately. And it just detracted from what is a beautiful game to watch, right? It's incredible to play, you know, 24 seconds of defense, force a turnover, and then go all the way on the other end and get a rewarding dunk for it. It's terrible to see, you know, you playing that hard defense and then you get the turnover and then, oh, it's a foul. And then you just have to take it out side out of bounds. That's ridiculous. So I'm really glad that this rule is implemented. I'm very passionate about it. And I love the fact that it's implemented. It makes the game a lot more easy to watch. We'd be remiss, guys, if we didn't mention what Silver did with the Donald Sterling Clippers situation. And I know there have been some takes about that, that it's almost like a layup that he had to do this. I don't think any commissioner has to do anything when it comes to an owner. There have been many owners across sports leagues who have gotten with a lot of stuff. And Sterling got away with stuff as owner of the Clippers for decades as a slumlord and just a terrible human being in, in many different ways. So the fact that Silver took any kind of a stand in that situation at all is commendable, in my opinion. To piggyback on you saying he was a slumlord, I just want to add, under the previous commissioner, David Stern, he had big-ass housing discrimination lawsuits where <laughs> he was seen to have openly discriminated against Black and Hispanic people under... That same commissioner, he had a notorious incident where he brought some friends and journalists into a locker room of naked black guys and said, oh, look at these beautiful black bodies. And this was reported. This was well known and nothing was done. So honestly, Adam Silver didn't have to do anything, but he did do something. No, I, I totally agree. I thought that when that whole thing was happening, it was just 
one disgusting obviously like to have an owner like that be around for for as long as he was and no action being done it, it's something that should have been done a long time ago so it's good that silver finally put his foot down found a way to like ac said like it's hard to deal with stuff when it comes to to owners right and he also as far as dealing with owners he also got robert sarver out to paint something that probably wouldn't have been done under david stern for previous commissioners yeah, and to be very clear for those who might not understand what a commissioner is, a commissioner is appointed by the owners. So he actually works for them in some ways. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do to go to your employer and just say, hey, I don't think you should do this or that, or actually you should sell the team, which I have no power to make you do. The fact that he was able to navigate those situations so admirably speaks to his skill as a commissioner. That being said... And here well, was the transition yes. that I know Ospie has been uh, waiting to get to. You know, <laughs> a little bit about the bad of Adam Silver and his reign. I was just checking my documents, right? Three years ago, I wrote a document about Adam Silver's beef with the Sixers. Like, I, I have a whole elaborate thing written out, but Wait, I'll you give you the spark. You wrote an Adam Silver hates Sixers manifesto? <laughs> well, it was more under the guise of like, if I ever made it into an article or something, I have a lot of points and like, you know, certain breakdowns of dates when things happen and stuff like that. So I'll spare you the long form thing. But geez, this guy has some, it out for us, man. Listen, as much as I respect him as a commissioner, there's two black marks that he has on his record. And we'll get to the second one later. But the number one thing has to be his vendetta with the six. Okay. We talked earlier about the whole issue with, you know, tanking for lottery picks and flattening the lottery odds, right? And the theory was that this limited tanking, right? Sure. Well, if that's the case, tell me how the Pistons, Spurs, and Wizards are combined one and 48 in their last 49 games. Detroit 0 and 19. San Antonio 0-16, Washington 1-13. The Washington Wizards, your home local team, Eric, are led by Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma. Don't tell me that's not tanking, all right? <laughs> so I don't so, claim them. Yeah. Right. And also he's saying this because the origin of Silver's vitriol, and that's what it is. It, it's a vendetta. It's an agenda against Sixers. I'm, I'm saying this as a Knicks fan. I have no you know, dog in this race, right? I look at the, this, what, what happened here, and it, it's very unfair treatment against one franchise. And it or, originates from around the time when Silver comes to power as commissioner in 2014. That's the time of the Sam Hinkie really starting the process and it becoming a thing. And a team blatantly admitting, unlike all the other teams, which, by the way, don't admit this, that they do this, but admitting to everyone that they are going to be tanking. And this was an embarrassment to Silver and to the NBA. And ever since then, he's had it out for the Sixers in multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. So let me first start by saying Sam Hinkie died for our sins. And Hinkie we trust, trust the process. Now that I've prefaced it, let me say this, okay? I don't know another time when a league commissioner stepped in and forced a team to hire another, like an advisor role. The league forced us to hire Jerry Colangelo, and Jerry Colangelo hired his son, Brian Colangelo. I like to refer to them, to our fans, so you know, I like to refer to them as the Silver Surfer and Galactus. The Silver Surfer is Jerry Colangelo, because wherever his ass shows up, 
you best bet Galactus, the world leader, is going to be hired there and be their GM. And that <laughs> is exactly what happened. Brian Colangelo will come and he'll fuck your team over. That ruined us for years, for years. But that's not it. It didn't just stop there. We've had numbers, uh, numerous tampering fines that, from what? We had tons of bullshit investigations. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this, he stripped us of two second round picks for tampering when it came to signing PJ Tucker and Daniel House. Like, really? Who the fuck cares about these guys? At best, they're solid role players. But no, we lose two second round picks because we're doing what every team's doing. We're talking to players beforehand. There's always a hush-hush thing. And then even when last week, when Embiid didn't play in Denver because of his knee, the NBA lost an investigation. What? Oh, James Harden is calling Daryl Morey a liar. The NBA announced that they're going to do an investigation into it. Completely unsolicited because neither Harden nor Morey asked for an investigation. But no, let's investigate that. Eric, what do you got to say? Honestly, what's one of the cardinal rules of the mafia? <sighs> Leave the cannoli? <laughs> No. <laughs> leave the gut, take the cannoli. <laughs> leave, leave the gut, take the cannoli. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. There is no mafia. Like, <laughs> why would you tell people that you're tanking? Like, but of it, course we we know that it happens. All of us know that it happens. Look. Like the unmitigated goal of Sam Hinkie to actually go and do a Big-ass expose about him tanking and why this made him somehow this elevated basketball mind. And for the ownership of the Sixers not to stop him, yeah, you know what? You listen, all should be punished. Hey, listen, 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 listen. Listen, what Hinky did worked. It did generate the high draft picks. Now, the second part of that is actually drafting the right guys and those guys developing, and it worked with Embiid. Simmons, he just crapped the bed. I can't even explain to you what happened with Markel Fultz. Though Markel Fultz was in the Adam Silver-created Colangelo regime. And Eric, I think you'll love this, right? Because you're all about freedom, right? Adam Silver came at us, but he didn't do the fundamental thing that he should have done. He hated the player when he should have hated the game. It's not our fault that we did what was in the rules that we were allowed to do. We did not break a single rule. Tell me a place where that's in the rules that we did something wrong. We did not yeah, purposely look. We did not. Hey, not hey. punishing you for breaking the rules. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he effectively is. We did not go out there and purposely try to lose games. I was at many of those games. I watched every game during the tanking process. We just fielded a team that was less talented, but they tried their asses off. So to us to say that we're losing on purpose, when obviously we're built to lose, I think there's a difference there. And we did nothing illegal, and we're being punished for it. So how about this? Bro. How about you fucking change the rules and don't come after the player? That's it. That's, all, that's my thing. I, I, that's what I hate about it. We are doing what's allowed. Why are you stepping on our freedom to do that? Fuck you, man. Yeah, just don't tell people that you're about to do it. Also, We're being honest. Don't... We're being straightforward. <laughs> don't, say, don't say you're not tanking and then for a couple of years trot Michael Carter Williams out as your starting No, no, no. Guard. We like, never said on, we're not man. tanking. We've been straight up. We've been straight up. Plus, Michael Carter Williams had almost a quadruple double in his NBA debut. I'll have you know. <laughs> 
All I'm going to say is any team that purposely employed Nerland's Noel during that time definitely was trying to find uh, a way to lose. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> now, that, that's bullshit because he was projected high, right? Like, we know now that he's not that good, but at the time when he was coming out of college. Yeah, dude. So, don't be, just, don't be dishonest here, all right? Stay in Canada, all right? Don't be dishonest here. <laughs> Damn. My, my thing with, like, I agree with Oswe, I think, on this, because it's not like tanking originated with the Sixers. I recall a Sixers first team tanking, to get Tim Duncan, and I recall them doing the same thing last year to get Victor Wembanyama, and this I year the Portland Trailblazers in back-to-back seasons playing like their seventh, eighth, ninth man the last few weeks of, of the season so they can get picks and telling a healthy Damian Lillard, which he by the way admitted to the media that they told him to sit so they get a better draft pick. How is Portland not getting investigated for this? Right. So it's like. The one team that was honest about what they were doing and saying, hey, we're trying to lose to get this was punished. And everyone else, just by not saying anything, is not being punished. And by the way, Eric, how dare you confuse the Fight Club motto for a mafia thing? I mean, come on, bro. <laughs> Yo, oh, Eric doesn't know shit. We... <laughs> yeah. You know what was funny? I've never seen Fight Club. <laughs> so you're just <laughs> using the line. All right. Yeah, I've never seen the movie. <laughs> Listen, but I, what, I, what I do know is, unlike the Sixers, those other teams never went and told people that, hey, we're tanking. Yeah, it came out after the fact when Damian Lillard was upset with the Trailblazers front office that, you know, they set him and they pretty much told him that they were tanking. But their front office didn't come out and tell us, oh, we're we're elevated minds and, and we're tanking because... We're, you know, maximizing the system and we're gaming it like Sam Hinkie did. But, that's but, why you got punished. And that's but, why you're but, still getting punished. But, okay, so l- let me ask you something, Eric, okay, and other naysayers. I'll, I'll throw Autoshot in there just because I want to throw a stray at him. All right? <laughs> For uh, no reason, mind you. I made a fucking joke about Nerlens Noel. Okay. <laughs> Dude, three years ago, the Thunder had a perfectly healthy Al Horford and just sat him for the season so they could tank, Okay. Like, what is worse, a team and a front office misleading their fans into thinking, hey, we're going to ha- actually see some good product on the floor, or being very for- like straightforward about what this is? I even have a shirt that says, trust the process, right? Like, it was known, like, we as a city bought into that. I'd like the, the up- straightforwardness of, hey, this is what we're doing. You could buy in. If not, seats at the game are going to be super cheap. You pissed in real time like this is revisionist history going on that's that is false listen bro i was pissed when the whole ben simmons stuff was happening i was pissed with the colangelo stuff i was not pissed with the process i was bought into that you can ask ac he was there into it a lot of fans were pissed off about that shit (laughs) bro most most fans that i know and in the circles that i've been a part we all understood what was going on no one was under any semblance of a doubt that we Eric, like this is what we're doing. I gotta tell you a story. I was with okay. Oswe on the day they drafted Ben Simmons, and before they drafted him, so I was at the draft. This huge contingent of Sixers fans just starts cheering, trust the process. 
they really did buy it. And if you if you listen to Sixers media people, not, not Sixers themselves being people, but people, like media members who cover the Sixers, fans in general, the radio people, they really did buy into what Sam Hinkie was selling them. The organization bought into it. But the national coverage of the Sixers yeah. was that it was a disgrace. And, and to be yeah. fair, it was a disgrace. I mean, like, like I'm famous as somebody who was still, too. <laughs> I, I think yeah. they were unfairly treated in, in the grand scheme. But at the moment, it had to end. You can't have this. Like, my issue with it is the unfair way that this one team has continued to be punished for it. Especially now, they're not even doing this anymore. So why are they still the one team that gets this treatment? And Eric, I'll also have you know, to the extent that we loved the process and we supported it, you go to Xfinity Live by the Sixers Stadium, and there's literally in the rafters a banner with Sam Hinkie's name and face on it. We love it. One of the most popular phrases you hear Sixers fans say is, Hinkie died for our sins, because damn it, he did. Hinkie is no Jesus, and also the national fans, like people watch the NBA collectively in real time thought that shit was horrible. So yeah, you all as Sixers fans, because you all were, you knew you sucked and you were looking out for the next year and the future. At the same time, people in real time thought it was horrible. It was a stain on the league. And it wasn't just a stain with national media. It was a stain with viewers. Viewers actually brought this shit up because look, the Sixers go and play other teams. No one wanted to see Michael Carter Williams playing any significant minutes when the Sixers came, you know, to arenas around the league. It was a thing. All right. Well, I will agree to disagree with you, but I said I had two bones to pick. I had two bones to pick with Adam Silver. Number one was the Sixers. And number two is how he's treated the Warriors and specifically Draymond. And to that, guys... I have a hot take alert. So Hot take alert. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you very much, Eric. Do you guys know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? I just did a quick Google search, okay? It is, it stems from the ignorance of our own ignorance. Meaning, we are not ignorant about how ignorant we are, okay? Does that make sense? So, here's the thing. I think the whole thing with Draymond Green, Draymond Green is the perfect example for how Adam Silver dropped the ball when it comes to the Warriors. And you see it with his most recent suspension that he had when he put patient zero, Rudy Gobert in a chokehold, right? But I think the problem there, yeah, it's Draymond to an extent, but the problem there is Adam Silver. I direct that because think about it like this, okay? This is a guy who in his career has finished first or second in technical fouls for six of 12 of his seasons. Half of his seasons, he's been first or second in the league with technical fouls, okay? He has 21 flagrants, 20 ejections, 172 technical fouls. This is regular season and postseason, okay? He has a number of incidents where he's kicked Steven Adams in the groin, but he only got a 25K fine. He hits LeBron in the balls, and the only reason he gets suspension for it is because he's accumulated that many technical fouls, okay? And then the league even said, for that case, oh, Draymond Green's actions do not merit a suspension as a standalone act. The number of flagrant points he's earned triggers it. So that's how you're allowing it, right? You're enabling this, okay? 
In November 2018, he blows up at KD on the bench. In October 22, he punches Jordan Poole, and he essentially tanks any hopes that the reigning champions could repeat. And he's only fined by the team. In March 2023, again, he gets suspended for accumulating tax. In April 23, he stomps on Sabonis' chest. In November 23, he shoves Donovan Mitchell in the back. And then finally, he's suspended for headlocking Rudy Gobert. And after all of this, you hear that Adam Silver calls Draymond Green and is crying with him and trying to convince him to come back. So can you really blame Draymond Green for doing all of the stuff I listed, plus countless other things that haven't been called, but you watch the game and he pulls? Can you really blame him being the way he is when he's essentially enabled by Adam Silver? I think that he has a lot of blame in how Draymond has acted because by not putting his foot down, by insisting on being the player's best friend, he's enabled this to go on. And I think the league is worse for it. So I don't think any modern player I can think of has had more free reign to to do fucked up stuff than Draymond has had under Silver. Like, yeah. I am I am categorically certain if Stern was the commissioner that overlapped with Draymond's career, he might have been legit kicked out of the league. He He might be playing for like, yeah, Moderna or, or Barcelona or somewhere yeah. like <laughs> whoever would have him because the stuff that he does is just egregious, incredibly dangerous. I mean, I know you all remember when he slumped his teammate, the guy Jordan Poole who plays for the Wizards now. In real time, I legit wanted him to get like 25 games. The idea that he could essentially suspend himself for whatever number of games he wanted to suspend himself and only have a fine was just outrageously ludicrous. ludicrous. I mean, Eric, if you let someone get away with basically just mere slaps on the wrist for things that they do, what do you expect them to do? They become emboldened. Oh, I can get away with this. I'm Draymond Green. I can do this. I can punch my teammates. I can headlock people. I can put people in legitimate harm's way. And that's okay. Because my boy Adam got me. Well, the crazy thing to me is, also you mentioned him finally getting suspended after he choked Rudy Gobert. That's actually not even when he got really suspended. It was when he, he then, not that long after that, just randomly hits, like literally just turns around and for no reason hits Nurkic in the face. That's what actually led to his quote-unquote indefinite suspension. Now, here's my take on, on this whole thing. I think we have to take a step back and look at Adam Silver more generally. I think there's a part of me that sees him as somebody that's a little bit too hesitant in general to take disciplinary action against players, not just Draymond, but just across the league. Generally, when it comes to punishment, I feel that more often than not, I, I would veer toward leniency as opposed to something being severe. So I don't think that David Stern's heavy-handed approach where like Carmel Anthony suspended for half the season for striking a guy is necessarily the right way to go. And some of that stuff, let's not kid ourselves, was due to some degree of his fear of racial perception of a predominantly black league and guys fighting each other and Stern didn't want that to be the image that was being sold to white fans. And, and it didn't help with, with things like the, the brawl happening in Detroit famously right in 2004. And then Stern became even more heavy 
heavy-handed after that. So I do appreciate that Silver shows some degree of leniency. However, when you have a repeat offender like Draymond Green, you also have some sort of obligation to your other players. This guy is going to seriously injure somebody in a way that it could affect their careers. No, you guys encapsulated everything that I was thinking too. And AC, I think you brought up a really good point about how this, it really does jeopardize the safety of the other players in the NBA. And look, at the end of the day, Silver is pushing out a product, right? The product is the the game itself and the players. And if you are allowing a loose cannon to run around and potentially really seriously hurt somebody, you're hurting the product itself, right? Like in the most literal terms, you're just hurting the product. And the fact that Draymond and him had a conversation in which they were both crying to each other is both one hilarious but also like are you fucking kidding me that's the approach that you take when it comes to a player who is like maiming your other players in the the nba like that's ridiculous and soft draymond also felt so comfortable to be able to say this on a podcast to people right so it almost feels like the whole thing is being swept under the rug and you know this is just whatever the the commissioner has okayed it like we're we're all on good terms we're all buddy buddy now but it's like it doesn't even feel like there really has been any work and stuff that draymond actually had to like think about and go through i mean listen i don't know about you guys i don't know any job in the world that you can literally attack your coworkers essentially and then have a good cry with your boss afterward and he's like no don't quit the don't quit your job you know i want you back don't worry about it we'll get through this together i don't i don't know any job like that i've never seen a job where someone has hit someone at a job and they kept the job mm-hmm. that's that's well, the nba we've been going on in the nba for a long time <laughs> michael jordan <laughs> good point good point <laughs> One last thing about Adam Silver was we've talked about some of the other ways that he has failed. I do think that he has done very little to combat the rise of scoring under his regime. You know, when he took over in 2014, the average offensive efficiency was 105.6 points per 100 possessions. Now it's a ridiculous 115.7 points per 100 possessions, an increase of over 10 points per possession in a span of a decade. And it's kind of led to a situation now where records are being broken left and right, and we don't really have a context of what they even mean anymore. You and I were just talking about this the other night, AC. I mean, they had within the same night, a guy scored 70 points, Embiid, another guy scored 62 points, Carl Anthony Towns, or Pussycat is awesome. And, <laughs> and, then, and then a couple of nights later, <laughs> Luka Doncic scores 73 points. So it's like we're getting to a point where guys score so like all like I get it, they're they're more skilled than they've ever been. But at the same time, there's like the perfect storm of events where with some of the defensive rules that were taken away where you used to be able to hand check and and stuff like that, it seems to be the perfect environment for inflated scoring stats. And and I do agree with you, AC, that I can't even contextualize it now. And honestly, as a person who's, I like to think of myself as a historian of the game, I don't even know how to really like glean their performances against performances of yours. Yeah, I think you make a good point, Eric, and, and you too, AC. I, I think that, one, it's very obvious that the game has just gotten better and the players are just a lot better now, right? I think that's good stuff saying. 
But I also really do think it has a lot to do with what Eric mentioned about the, the defensive rules and the game just favoring the offensive players. And we've really seen it with like specific things like one, the whole thing about the clear path foul and the transition take. I think that's also leaning more towards offense as well as the clear foot spacing landing when you're contesting a shot and the penalties that incur when you're landing in the space of the shooter, right? So there's things like that that really help to elevate offensive efficiency. You have to contest in a very specific way, otherwise it's a foul, you know, things of that nature. I think that in general, though, for the average NBA, like for us as you know, hardcore NBA fans, we like seeing defense. We like being able to see a player like lock up and the schematics that go into a defensive possession. But for the average fan, all they really care about is, oh, ball goes into a basket and everyone cheers. Everyone's screaming, yay, right? Like that's what the product that I think he's really trying to push out now. And while I think it's good in some ways, it definitely leaves a lot to be desired by fans who really want to see the game in its entirety. I, I definitely agree with you that that's what Silver thinks is the best way to sell this product, right? I mean, there's no question. Even if you look at, he's been asked questions about this. He's kind of said, you know, this is good for the league. But I don't actually agree that that's actually what fans want to see. In fact, I would argue that most people would prefer a balance of offense and defense. And I want to be very clear here. I don't believe that the rise in scoring is due to Adam Silver. I think it's almost mostly due to things that are completely out of his control. There's been a rise of three-point shooting, both in terms of potency and volume. It's, you know, he came to power in 2014. That's about the time the Warriors changed basketball forever. There's also been a rise of much more complicated offensive systems. Five out was an unheard of concept 20 years ago. Now multiple teams run that. There are more skilled players across the board. There's a huge spike in the pace of play. More possessions equals more scoring. But he's done little to sort of stem this tide because he doesn't see it as a problem. He looks at it like, as you said, Anushan, more baskets, more highlights, more scoring records, more everything. But you look at the NFL. The NFL had out-of-control scoring about a decade ago. The last five, six, seven years, it's been a much better balance between, I would say maybe the last three or four years, a much, much better balance. Defense has caught up, and then the ratings have gotten better than they were in this stretch where it was just pure offense. I think the NBA could learn something from that. And I, I mean, there are some actual quick fixes for some of the things you name. Like, guys are shooting threes at a higher volume, and they're just way more accurate than they were 15 years ago, per se. Why not move the three-point line out? We took away hand-checking. Why not bring hand checking back? We know there are things that can at least mitigate the, the elite level of skill that these guys have. So the game just doesn't seem like it's all offense. I, I mean, it's, it's something to consider. No, absolutely. And I just want to reiterate one more thing. I think that, again, changing some of these rules in some ways definitely have protected some of these players. Take, for instance, the landing space rule that I, I mentioned earlier. That really came to fruition when Zaza assassinated Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs, right? That whole situation was awful. But now you get heavily penalized for doing something like that. And I think that's also good for the game because it looks out for the players. Now, what I think doesn't account and look out for the players and actually hurts the product even more that, in my mind, Silver has done nothing to really fix or do anything about, it's the officiating, the referees. We're seeing more ejections now more than ever. And to me, it just speaks volumes that he's very okay and willing to go after organizations, but he does nothing about the refs 
who are essentially ruining the product that people are spending their hard-earned money to see. If I'm going to a basketball game, I'm going to see the big names. And if you're just going to toss out the best players in the world when I'm trying to spend my hard-earned money to go watch them, of course, I'm going to be pissed off. And to do nothing about it speaks volumes, in my opinion. You know, Anu, I'm very happy that you mentioned the referees. Because the referees also represent a similar case that Draymond does, right? It's emboldened to just be terrible. I mean, recently, I forgot, was it Tony Brothers? It was a referee was on some panel and he, I think it was Tony Brothers, right? Yeah. He basically said, he's like, yeah, I don't even like basketball. I don't really care. Listen, I get it. A job's a job. You don't need to love it, right? But like, maybe don't be that obvious about it, right? Like maybe don't be on a freaking panel saying, yeah, I don't, you know, my job's whatever. Like, but but then he has a direct impact on, on players' livelihoods because of outcomes, because Oh, let's just eject this player arbitrarily. Some fans travel across the world. Oh, but too bad. Giannis just got ejected for God knows what. The the, the refs think that we're there to see them. And God forbid that you are criticizing the refereeing or something like that. The league's going to fine you. Adam Silver, perfectly fine letting refs do the shit that they've been doing without any retribution. So once again, he's emboldening them, somebody to do something bad. You can't be everyone's best friend. You are the boss. You're not Michael Scott, all right? Like, how did that work for him, you know? <laughs> right. And again, the NBA is the hardest league to officiate. And that's something I know AC has mentioned to us in private conversations multiple times. And he's absolutely right. It's not easy to ref this league. But there is something you can definitely do, and that's control your emotion. If you make a bad call and a player wants to talk to you and have a discussion about it, that's well within their rights. For you to just shut that down and to see it more so as disrespect, that shows that you're just bad at your job. And then for there to be no repercussions, and it's the players who end up getting fined. Honestly, Anu, the NBA refs act like the nerdy kids who weren't athletic enough to actually play for their school teams. So they became refs so that they could bully <laughs> the jocks that got all the popularity and everything that they never could because who the hell cares about refs and shout out to the refs out there i'm sure they're good ones out there but yeah that's how they feel that's the energy they're giving such like napoleonic complex that they seem to all have the nba has had officiating problems for a long time way before adam silver we've had egotistic guys from joey crawford to steve javi and many others over the over the decades one of the things that the nba really struggled with was with the whole tim donnie situation and gambling being involved with the nba and people you know an official actually betting on games or or affecting lines for apparently some kind of mob connection you had in our homestead of new jersey also but under adam silver the nba has gone headlong into online gambling and just gambling in general right they're even most assuredly going to expand to Las Vegas as well. So given that it's easier than ever to bet on games, the fact that there are officials who are so biased that they actually affect the lines of certain games. We all know who these guys are, right? There are certain officials who have it out for certain players like a certain point guard known as the point god. Then we had that Celtic situation where there was a guy whose whole family, but not him, of course, was Celtics fans. And this guy, which is the lines where he was refereeing were so out of whack with the norms of what could be expected in an outcome of the Celtics were playing him. As Adam Silver, you can't both bring in gambling could potentially come as a bad consequence from gambling. You can't do that on the one hand and then have such obvious bias 
that's there. And it's, you could see it from the way that games are being called and the lines and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a lot that's good about Adam Silver. The negatives certainly are there and are certainly worth being called out on. And I know for a fact, I am going to be calling them out on this podcast. And I highly doubt this is the last time we're going to have some Adam Silver type of conversation. Truly, as we see how the season progresses and how he responds to different things. But I think in general, I think we're all in agreement that he has been a plus commissioner and he hopefully will give David Stern a run for the money for being the GOAT. But with that, I think this is a perfect place to stop for today. Gentlemen, thank you all so much for joining. For all our fans out there, thanks for listening. Be sure to catch us in our next episode of Ball Might Live. We'll catch you later, guys. See you.